past several weeks, we've talked about being a peacemaker, thinking about Paul's instructions to us in verse 18, where it said, as far, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We spent a few weeks talking about how to do that practically, uh, that we need to focus on the glory of God first of all. We need to get the log out of our own eye, deal with ourselves first. Last week we talked about different things that we can do as far as how to go to the other person, uh, when to go to them, to go in the right way, how to communicate, how to, to reconcile, and all of this. Because we want to be doing what we can so that as far as it depends on us, we can live peaceably with all. But what do you do when that doesn't work? What do you do when you have done everything that you can do to, to, to reconcile, to live peaceably with somebody else, and they are still against you? They are still your, your enemy. They are still intent on doing harm to you in one way or another. Because you can be doing everything right by God's power. We can be living lives as, as Christ-like as possible, and you can still have people upset with you. You can have, still have people against you. Because let us remind ourselves, who was the most Christ-like person to ever walk this planet? Christ. Jesus was the most Jesus-like person there was. And people were very much against him. Uh, people were against him his, his entire life and his ministry, and he ended up being nailed to a cross. And there are lots of reasons for that. One is that sin does not like to be confronted with, with holiness. There's lots of different reasons why your efforts to live peacefully might fail. And that's where this passage comes in and gives us this instruction with this attitude, what do we do when there, when there isn't peace, when people are still out there to, to harm us. So let's read Romans chapter 12, 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our passage from the Word of God we are going to focus on today. We're going to deal with it in two main points. The first, looking at verse 19, we're going to summarize by saying that we need to leave payback to God. Because it tells us, never avenge yourself, but leave this to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will repay. We need to think about what this means. Now, some of you may be more into this uh, than others. You might at least be aware of this, uh, but we're dealing with a verse here on not avenging ourselves at the same time that in, in the movie theaters, there is a movie on the Avengers. Uh, Avengers Infinity War, 
just found out it actually broke the record. This is not a small movie, it's a big movie, being the fastest movie to ever break $1 billion in worldwide box office sales. It did this in just 11 days. I don't know how long it takes you to make a billion dollars. Uh, they did it in 11 days here. Beating the previous record holder, which was Star Wars The Force Awakened, uh, which being slackers took 12 days to make a billion dollars. So <clears throat> you have this movie. It's just kind of interesting to, to think about this. I'm not going to give you, you spoilers you know, for the movie if that's something that you go to. Uh, but I'll just, I'll just say, if, if you're going to try to defeat the, the bad guy with your magical space axe, you know, you've got to go for the vulnerable part. Anyways, think of the, what does it mean to avenge? Okay, if people hear avenge, you think Avengers and Captain America. In English, the word avenge, the English, the Bible is not written in English, but in English it means to inflict harm in return. So there's an injury that's done to us, and so we're going to avenge by doing an injury back to someone else. That basically does capture the meaning of the Greek word that is translated for avenge. It, it means to vindicate, to retaliate, to punish, to have, to have revenge. Somebody did something to you, you're going to take revenge, and you're going to make sure that they pay. You're going to make sure that they receive justice. And what this passage is telling us is something that, that goes against our norms, that goes against maybe the lessons you're going to learn from almost every you know, movie that you see, which says if somebody does something bad to you, you, you get them back. But instead, it says that we are not called to be the ones to execute justice. That we, as, as individual Christians, we are not called to execute justice on evil people. This means we're not called to take personal revenge. We are not called to be uh, inflicting vigilante justice, taking matters into our own hands. This means that it is not our job, it is, is God's job. That's kind of the two parts of this verse. One thing, we're not called to do it, but it is saying that there is someone that is called, that this is his responsibility. He is going to take care of this. This is not saying that evil gets to just go free. But there's someone else that is going to do this and, and can do this in a much more competent way than we can do this. The verse says, we're not to avenge ourselves, but it says to leave it to the wrath of God. The word there for leave it literally means to give place, to give place to the wrath of God. It's kind of this imagery of of stepping back and not getting in the way of God being able to be the one to give his justice at the due time. That almost, that it's saying that if we try to do this, we're almost, we're blocking what, what God is called to do, what's his prerogative to do at the right time and in the right way. We're called to give place to that. Actually, in the original writing, the phrase, it says, uh, give place to wrath, it doesn't actually say the words of God in the Greek, but it's implied that this is, this is God's uh, work, this is God's wrath. And we see this because of the verse and what it says after this. Uh, Vengeance is mine. It's what God is saying. It's, it's not yours to avenge. God is saying, I will be the one. I will be the avenger. 
I will be the one to avenge those that have suffered, those that have been mistreated. It frees us up to not be doing that, to know that he will do that. It's quoting from Deuteronomy 32, 35. That passage, it says, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the, for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. We could read on in the, the rest of this. It's in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, and uh, there's some terrifying verses there about God uh, dealing with sinners that, that don't repent, that carry on in their, in their sin. And that one day, things may be going great for them, but there will come a time when their foot will slip. There will come a time where all of a sudden it, it's not going to be going well and they will fall into the hands of, of the living God. God has the right to do this. So it's the two sides to this. We're not called to, but God is. God has the right to do this. And when we think about this, we realize he is a much better person to be doing this than we are for a variety of reasons. And that God, he is the one that can dispense justice and he can do it in the way that is actual true justice. I mean, the judge of the world will, will do what is right. He can do this because he is completely just. He is completely righteous. He's never going to respond in some type of unrighteous anger. He's never going to respond just to, to make himself feel better. That's not how God is. God knows everything. Not just what's on the surface. We can only see the surface. We can't really know what's in people's hearts. We can't really know all the different factors, but God knows everything. This verse also, again, it tells us that no one gets off without justice. Justice is satisfied one way or another. And for us, we realize that this is also the justice that we would have coming to us as well. That we are sinners, each of us that we, we deserve, what we deserve is God's justice. If we're not receiving that, it's because of God's mercy. It's because of God's grace that he is not treating us the way that our sins deserve. And the reason that he can do that is because there is one that has satisfied justice for us. The reason that God can give us grace and mercy it's not because he just throws justice out the window for us. It's because Jesus Christ on the cross has satisfied God's justice in our place. And we have received that through, through turning to him in repentance and receiving him in, in trust, in saving faith, relying on Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. So we realize that no matter what justice is satisfied. It was satisfied for us by Jesus Christ. But for those that refuse the offer that is presented to everyone to, to turn to Jesus and to receive that salvation, they're going to go into eternity w- without a mediator, without a savior, without one to, to absorb the wrath for them. And they're still standing under, under the wrath of God. And that is not a place where you want to be. This is meant to be something that's an encouragement to Christians. I mean, the Romans that Paul was writing to, and many in the early church, and many in the world today face persecution. They face death. They face so much more hardship and, and deeper hardship than so many things that we go through in our relatively sheltered 
protected lives. And to know that there is a God that will avenge, that will set things right, is meant to be something that encourages us both to, to live for God and also it frees us up to not have to do this ourselves. In Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes this, starting with verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those that who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed, there will be a time when God will come and put things right. It may not be right now. There's time we know that's coming. And that should fill our hearts for us with amazing amounts of just gratitude that, this, that we are not going to be on the receiving end of that. It should fill our hearts with compassion for those who right now, if Christ were to return, that they are still allowing their, themselves to be on the receiving end of, of giving exactly what they deserve. No one is going to get worse than they deserve, but what we all deserve is, is not what any of us would want. And in the meantime, God calls us to not be wishing for them to receive this, but to be calling them to repentance, to be calling them to the one that if they turn to him, they will find that they have an all-sufficient Savior. That if they turn to him, they will find that they have one that has taken the wrath of God for them. So instead, that they can experience the, the love of God, the grace of God instead. This verse, does this mean that we are to become complete pacifists? That there should be um, no sense of, of fighting, no sense of, of resisting evil at all. And I think this is where we have to not just look at one verse, but look at it in connection with other things to let the Word of God inform, other passages inform uh, the passage we're looking at. If we were going on to Romans 13, we would see instructions about submitting to authorities, and especially the civil governments. And what we would see in chapter 13 is, well, I'll read a little bit. <laughs> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. And it goes on, but 
I just want to point that out so that we're taking Scripture in a balanced way here, that this passage that we're looking at is primarily about us as, as individuals, as Christians. We're not seeking vigilante justice. We're not having hearts that seek vengeance. But there is a place where God has delegated some of his authority uh, to, to the civil authorities uh, to keep society from destroying itself. So it is okay for uh, the police officers uh, when, when it's needed to use appropriate force to keep evildoers from, from harming other people. There is a place for our, our men and women in the military uh, when there is uh, just war situations uh, to defend our country. So I think it's good to look at chapter 12 and also chapter 13, and it helps us to have the correct perspective on all of this. But for us, as individuals, one big lesson is that knowing that God's justice will come, it does free us up to love our enemies now. And we don't have to be consumed thinking that we have to be the ones to inflict judgment. I mean, there is something that's wired in us that we think people should get what's coming to them. That somehow justice should be satisfied. And there's a part of that that is, that's godly. That's, God believes that justice needs to be satisfied. Now, he did that for believers through Jesus Christ, through a substitute. And in the end, there will be no uh, injustice that will not be taken care of. But it frees us up to know that we don't have to be the ones to do it. I mean, think of what it would be like if there was no God. For the people that are in the world now, and they see all this injustice and how most of that is never going to be taken care of. Because sometimes people commit serial murder and they get off their whole life. Or uh, the, the murderer that was just caught recently who spends you know, decades you know, not being caught, living a happy life. And now, okay, he's caught and he gets to spend a few of his remaining years in prison. How does that make up for the lives that he took if there's no God and this is just the end of it? There's something in our hearts that say that's, that's not right. Something in us that says there, there's got to be something more to, to balance the books. And we're, we can be so thankful that from our worldview that we know that God is there, but he is going to be the one to take care of this. So instead, we can focus on loving people. We can focus on being good to our enemies. It frees us up to be ambassadors for reconciliation calling people into a relationship. From this verse 2, don't miss the word beloved. Christian, you are beloved by God. And because you can love because you are loved by the one that matters most. Therefore, we're not called, we are not called to be avengers, but we are called to trust the one that ultimately is the avenger. Instead, what we're called to do, second point, is we're called to fight back by doing good. We don't fight back in the way that the world does, returning evil for evil, but what we are called to do is to fight back in the opposite way, to fight back by doing active good for other people. And not just for our brothers and sisters in Christ, although obviously we should, and even more so, but we're being called to love our enemies, those that are trying to destroy you Instead, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
It says, For by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Fight back by doing good. Did you ever get in trouble with the grammar police? Let me just ask this. When you say, people say, how are you doing? Say, I'm doing good. And they say, really? What kind of good are you doing? Are you like rescuing kittens from trees? Are you helping people across the street? Or do you mean that you are doing well? Well, here we actually literally do mean doing good. We're actually doing good things for other people. It's not just something we feel. It's something that we actually are doing. We're called to do good even to our enemies. You know, this is a, a verse that talks about enemies and how we treat them. And it reminds me of a, an email I got from somebody from the church a few months ago. I don't often get many um, uh, complaining or angry emails from people. I know there's some pastors every Monday, it's, they dread checking their email folders because of what they're going to get, Okay. I'm thankful I don't get a lot of that. I'd love to think that it's because I'm just doing everything right. (laughs) Hey, you don't have to laugh. (laughs) But I think even more it's because you are being kind to me, and I appreciate that. But I want to share, this is one message that that I did get. I want to read this to you. And it's talking about the fellowship dinners. This was when we had them the first time, and we just had a second one kind of last week. And it starts off saying, I want you to let you know that our family really enjoyed the fellowship dinners and talks a little bit about this. But it said they wanted to bring up a concern. Let me read, quote, You suggested to us to read Romans 12. We're at the beginning of the series, so they were supposed to read this before they ate. It says, Being good stewards and followers of our pastor, we did so. The problem is, we only glanced to see what chapter it was and what it was. We only glanced to see what chapter it was and when it was about, basically saying that it was about being part of one body and one body of Christ. The message goes on to say, we didn't read it in its entirety until we read it in the group. I introduced it by explaining how this was the message that we as a church were wanting to exemplify by getting together and eating. And then it says that the the husband read, said all was fine at first. And he read about how we are all to be one body, then about using our gifts, and it was still good. And then he read Romans 12.20. Yes, so therein lies the problem. It says, you say invite people over, so we do. You say feed them, so we do. You say read Romans 12, so we do. This, I'm getting worried reading this. We do only to be blindsided by verse 20. Needless to say, we will not be blindly following our pastor any longer. <laughs> Next paragraph. Hopefully you caught on that I was just joking. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) I was really worried there. (laughs) And I was like, what's going on? And I read, okay, we're having fellowship dinners, having people over, and I asked to read Romans 12, 
And that's where it's saying, if your enemy, you know, is, is, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, you know, he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And then it says they joked around about, oh, he must be, you know, putting together groups where it's having enemies together and joking around about that. I thought it was pretty funny. So um, just wanted to read that. I kept it anonymous. Uh, I was really amused by this, but, um, you know, I didn't want uh, Kevin and Angela Schultz to feel, you know, uh, to give away. Uh, <laughs> they have you going for a bit, but this is great. I love it. But you know what? It, 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 it is biblical to feed your friends too, okay? If Romans 12 is, we've been focusing on this and how to treat each other within the body of Christ. And at the end here, it's turning towards how we deal with non-Christians, how we deal with those persecuting us. But remember, if, if this is how we should treat our, our enemies, this is how we should treat those that are persecuting us, well, yeah, how much more should we be treating well those that are our brothers and sisters in Christ? How much more, even when there's times if we do get in each other's, under each other's skin, should we be willing to forgive? Should we be willing to not return? retaliate with uh, insult to insult or dirty look to dirty look, real or imagined, but taking the initiative to take the high road and to do what is right and to do what is is loving. So we're to retaliate by by doing what is good instead. And then it says to heap burning coals on their head. Now, this is one of those verses in Scripture where you read it and you say, What? Now, some of us, maybe you've heard this verse so many times that it doesn't really phase you, but the first time you hear this, you're thinking, wow, the imagery here, I mean, you're getting out the, the Weber grill, okay, after cooking up some brats and you got these coals and you're going to dump them on somebody's head? I mean, that doesn't sound like nonviolent retaliation, okay? That doesn't sound like doing good to someone uh, that sounds like, I mean, even if somebody did something terrible to you, that would be, an, that would be a, a way overboard, awful thing to do, even to the, you know, the worst person out there, to dump burning coals on their head. So it causes us to think, what is going on here? What does this mean that by, by feeding them, by doing good to them, it will heap burning coals on their head? This is actually a reference to Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. It says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Psalm 25, 21 through 22. I remember long ago um, at a Bible study, you know, hearing a, a girl talk about this and say, this is how I apply this. When somebody is, you know, mean to me or saying things, I just smile and say, I love you. And, and so it really just gets under their skin and it just annoys them and I love it. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's really what this verse is saying. I don't think it's really saying, you know, uh, killing them with kindness means getting under their skin by being fake sweet and just annoying them. I, that's not what it's going for. Let me give you three interpretations. I'll give you the, one, the least likely and we'll make it to the most likely. Uh, one interpretation says this is a reference to an Egyptian reconciliation ritual. Now, if I were here to just amaze you with cultural background 
and that I know cultural things about the Bible. This is what I'd, I'd go for. I'd say, this is definitely it, and I can't believe you didn't know this. Uh, but this is how it goes. It says that uh, in Egypt, supposedly, according to this, there was a ritual. Now, in Egypt, you didn't have a lot of wood, so to have coals for your fire was kind of a rare thing. You know, it was valuable to have this. So if you needed to reconcile with someone, you would carry some of your coals over to them, putting them on your head, and you carry them over, and you would say, I- I'm sorry about what I've done. Here, to make up for it, here are some coals. And you would give them coals, and then they would take them, and they would carry them home. And that it explains this. Maybe problems with that, as far as I understand, um, the evidence that this was actually a thing is kind of sketchy. Uh, and also, too, Paul is not writing this in the letter to the Egyptians. Okay, Paul, who is uh, a Jew, is writing this to the, the Roman Christians, and it seems unlikely that he would be referencing some uh, an ancient Egyptian uh, ritual if this was a thing. I mean, could it be? Maybe. I, it seems doubtful. A second interpretation is what this means is that by being kind to other people, it actually increases their judgment. That oftentimes in Scripture, fire, coals are used as a sign of judgment. And that by not retaliating, by treating other people with love and kindness, at the end it's going to increase their accountability. It's going to increase their, the judgment that they receive because they're doing harm to people that were showing nothing but love to them. There might be something to say for that. But a third interpretation actually connects this with purification, with conviction of sins. And that might seem more foreign to us, but there are times in Scripture where burning coals uh, were, were used as an agent of purification. I mean, one example would be from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees this, this vision of the Lord, and he's overcome with his sense of sinfulness. And he says, uh, he says, Woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, he's just undone. He's confronted by his sin. And then what happens in this vision, it says one of the seraphim, one of these angels, it says, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So in Scripture, there's also this imagery of burning coals as, as an agent of purification, of, of cleansing. And I think this really fits the context the best because this is in the middle of saying that we're to, to do good for them, to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. And I think how this can work is that ideally there's times where when we respond with love to other people, this gets at work in their conscience. This maybe causes them to realize the way I'm treating this person is not right. They're responding in love. It, it's like a, a burning in their conscience, in their mind, that sometimes changes them, that sometimes God uses that to bring about repentance. 
in them. Sometimes it works. Sometimes they're convicted, but they so resist that. So I think that last option fits the context the best, and it's also the goal. However, if they do fail to change, to to repent, the, the truth is that it actually does bring increased judgment upon them as well. That one day they will be held accountable, that they're persecuting people that did nothing but good to them in return. And their sin will be, be magnified. It will be more apparent how, how sinful and evil it was because it wasn't just us responding evil for evil. Remember, reconciliation is always the goal. So we're to overcome evil with good. This is something active that we're called to do. It's a choice that we're called to make. It's not easy. It's not natural. The natural thing is to respond in kind. They did something mean, you push back. You know, they get in your way, you get in their way. But this is a response that can come from a a renewed heart that God is giving us through Jesus Christ. It's something supernatural. It's something God is doing through the renewed heart and the work of the Holy Spirit. God is making us Christ-like. Christ who didn't respond in kind, but instead forgave others. If we're being made like Christ, if we're being made to be like him, we want to seek reconciliation. We want to do good even to those that are doing evil to us. And we need to think of how to do that. Food and drink are examples. They're not the only things that we can be doing, but they're, they're some. And we need to, you need to be thinking through other practical examples. And it might be different, whether it's you know, someone that wants to martyr you, whether it's a coworker or someone that's trying to sabotage you at work, whether it is another brother and sister in Christ who right now there's things you need to work out, whether it's a husband and spouse, two people that uh, you do ministry together, whether it's kids and your siblings and you're trying to get along with each other instead of going back and forth at it, how do we respond in a kind way the way Christ would have us to do this? No matter what, one thing to always do is be praying for them. If they're not a believer, we want to be praying for their salvation. So they, can, they need to be reconciled with the God that made them first. And then, with that unity in Christ, then we can be reconciled to them as well. As we pray for them, this, this softens our hearts too. It may be difficult to serve them, to give them food and water, to, to give them you know, help. As we're praying for them, it changes our hearts to help us see other ways to be good to them as well. No, we don't want to help them in sinful agendas, but we can help them since they are, in other ways, since they are image bearers of God. 1 Peter 2 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. There have been many times where this has happened. There are scriptural examples. If you have time, you could look at 1 Samuel 24. There's a time where, where David, when he's being persecuted by Saul in the Old Testament, 
that Saul has been trying to kill David, and uh, Saul goes into a, a cave, it says, to relieve himself. He didn't know that David was in there hiding, and David had a chance he could have killed him. He realized he could have. And he realizes he's convicted and says, no, I, I can't do this. I can't kill uh, the anointed king. This would be wrong. Instead, he's able to sneak up to him. He cuts off a corner of his garment. That's ama- I, David's kind of like a ninja if he's able to do that. That's kind of amazing. And later he shows this to Saul and to point out that I, I could have killed you and I didn't. And he tells him about this. And it says in 1 Samuel 24, starting with verse 16, As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I. You have repaid me good where I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord had put me into your hands. For if a man finds an enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. There are examples from the early church. In the early church, you know, they were persecuted. Uh, They were fed to the lions. They were uh, killed in all kinds of nasty ways by different emperors. And, well, there was a time, well, after... Constantine converted to Christianity. There was another emperor called Julian the Apostate who was a pagan. He tried to pull everyone back into paganism to get everyone to worship the gods. Believe that Christians, Christians were atheists because they didn't believe in the gods. And he was trying to suppress them, but he was having a hard time because the Christians are out there and they're doing good. In, Back in those days, instead of abortion, you would just have the baby, and if you didn't want it or if it's the wrong gender, you would just leave it exposed. Take it to the dump or leave it outside and just let it die. And they realized the Christians are the ones rescuing these babies and and raising them. They're the ones, they're, they're feeding the poor, not just their own, but feeding others as well. And he got frustrated, saying, I want to persecute these Christians but it's hard because they're doing all this good stuff. There's a quote from, from this emperor. He writes, he says, <clears throat> he says, atheism, he's referring to the Christians as the atheists because they don't believe in the gods. So the Christian faith, he says, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. They would bury give people a proper burial, thinking even if they're not Christians, they deserve, they're created in the image of God and their, their, their body deserves respect. He says, It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar because the Christians even take care of them and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should be rendering to them. Christians... Shouldn't this be the lives that we're leading today? That those, even though they are going to mock, even though they are going to try and slander and say all kinds of unfair things, that we make it tough for them because we're loving those in the world so much that other people are going to realize there's something different about these Christ followers. They are living in a different way. And they're not just talking about it, they're actively doing this. Think of ways for you to be doing this for God's glory in our watching world.
Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example. That when he was reviled, that when he was sentenced to death, he did not return evil for evil. He could have called down armies of angels to stop this from happening. But instead he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is what all of Romans 12 has been about. This great gospel message that, that we're sinners. Christ died for us. That's how we're saved. This changes our hearts. This changes our lives. And all of the things that we've been looking at in Romans 12 are these indications on how to live this out, how to live out this changed Christian life, both together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and also in a, a watching world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that because of your example and because of your work, the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, that he really paid our penalty, that we're justified because of what he did fully, Lord God, even though we're sinners, this is an amazing thing. Let this change our mindset. Let this cause us to want to be living sacrifices unto you, to lay down our lives daily in service to you, Lord God. Give us a different mind. Give us a different heart, Lord God. Work through us to do good for those and our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our enemies even, in this watching world to bring you glory. We thank you that we can be freed up to be ambassadors of reconciliation because you are the one that ultimately will bring the victory. For we recognize that we are victors in midst of strife. Lord, teach us how to love you. Teach us how to love each other and to live out living the Christian life together. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.